Beloved, if you have your Bible there this morning, let's turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'll be reading the, the, the 13th chapter. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Not obviously going to preach the whole chapter. And, but then we'll look at this morning's verses. So let me read the chapter to you. And then we will look at verses from that. Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing so, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison, as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering, suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations. Since those who observe them do not, have not benefited from them. We have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have the right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience, wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. And I urge you all the more to pray that I might be restored to you very soon. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good work, to do as well, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released, and if he, soon, if he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. So we're finishing this, this, uh, this letter, this epistle, this sermonette really. It's a pastor speaking to a congregation. He is concerned about them and he's full of pastoral concern. He is wanting to strengthen them. And you heard that in the end there, he calls it this, this letter of exhortation. This, he's asking them, wanting to gee them up, to encourage them, to keep them going. So that they don't fall back or they don't falter. They don't begin to compromise with, at that time, the Judaizers. Those who would add to their salvation experience. Jesus Christ plus temple worship. Jesus Christ plus circumcision. Jesus Christ plus anything else. And so he's been encouraging them and strengthening. Wanting them to lift up their eyes to Jesus and to become more secure in their relationship with him. Now you and I, we don't have a temple. We don't have a a place of ritual worship. Well, here in Finland at least. But we do have our own personal hobby horses sometimes. We do have... (sighs) non-Christian relatives. We do have the communities in which we have, we have our workmates who sometimes we might turn down our Christian belief. I think I've told you this story before. I'm sure I have. I repeat myself incessantly. My wife nods her head there. Once when I was working in Vadax and I was sitting at the table and all the young men of the factory would sit around me because um, I'm Irish and I'm funny and all the rest. And I was working in the factory and one of the young men re- re- leant over and he was giggling. He'd been looking at Facebook and his phone. And he says, can you believe that these crazy Christians actually believe in an ark? They actually believe that Noah had these animals. They actually believe in a real flood. They actually believe that God created the world in six days. And everybody laughed around the table. <laughs> crazy Christian extremists. And I had to make a decision. What do you do? <laughs> and because I have the disability of a large mouth, I leaned forward and said, well, I actually believe that. I actually believe in Noah was a real man. I actually believe in a real flood. I actually believe in, in Adam and Eve and six days of creation and a pre-flood um, uh, civilization, which was probably greater than the civilization we're living in today. And the whole laughter at the table just stops, you know, you know, and uh, thank goodness they didn't get into dinosaurs. Um, you know, was there dinosaurs on the ark? Maybe. Baby ones. Um, you have to make a decision. You have to, of course that was comical and funny, but then there are things like homosexuality, abortion. I remember having a discussion with a family member about abortion when the Roe versus Wade thing was abolished. And this person said to me, can you imagine the Americans are doing that? And they're, 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 they're going backwards, not forwards. They're abolishing women's rights. And I said, I personally support that decision. 
Well, it's taking it back to the state, let the people decide, it's very de democratic, but I am pro-life, and that person was disgusted. How can you be pro-life? Women's rights, and this is an elderly man, women's rights, and I said, well, I'm for the baby's rights. Jesus said, you shall not kill. Pro-life, can't help that. There are times when we must, like the Hebrews, take a stand, whether we're going to compromise, and again, that means to turn down, to camouflage our Christian beliefs, those commandments that Christ has called us to walk in, to demonstrate Him in this world, will we turn them down or will we stand firm, steadfast in our beliefs and live them out? And of course, all those things are connected to our salvation. Because we believe in Jesus, we live this way. Because He has saved us and created a new heart within us, transformed us and changed us, we no longer walk in the ways of this world. We no longer carry out the desires of the flesh. We no longer give in to that tempting little voice of the enemy that would lead us away from God, would have us fear. So we stand up. And so at the end of this letter, he's, he's done all those things, established Christ as being supreme over all other things, whether they're heavenly or earthly. Christ is God's supreme way for us to contact God, to worship God. And he gets into now explaining how we worship Jesus. Chapter 13 is often viewed as a kind of eclectic, like a, like a, a magpie nest of different things pulled together. The guy didn't really know how to end it, so he kind of scribbled down some, some notes quickly. But really they're not... In chapter 13, he is explaining how we practically, as believers, how do we practically, practically, hope that's the word, worship God. What does your worship look like? And again, we live in a time where the trend is, worship is thought of as singing, as lifting up your hand. It's the result of the vineyard and the hell song, hill song culture, the Jesus culture, when much is given into this singing. But that's not really worship, that's just an experience. That's a concert or, or a, a choir. It's enjoyable to your flesh, but it's not necessarily what God has required from you. It's not what Jesus Christ, God's not up there going, oh, I wish a gappy church would get a choir together and sing more. Well, it'll be good fun and we would enjoy it, but it is not what God, it's not what Christ has required of us. He is required that we walk in His ways and keep His requirements, that we live our lives in such a way that it brings glory to Him. By this, everyone will know that you love me. What is that? That we love Him. We love each other. Remember the commandment that when Jesus was asked about what is the greatest commandment, He said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The mom was like, that's right. And then Jesus quickly followed up with, and the second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. We cannot love God without the demonstration of that love then demonstrating itself first and foremost to the other brothers and sisters within the congregation. And then beyond that, to even to our enemies, to our culture, to the place that we grew up in, the place where we live, but goes beyond that. 
even to our enemies, those who would persecute us, those who would be against us. We're not called to take up arms against them. We're not commanded to go into some sort of Christian revolution where we take power. We're not the Puritans. We don't do that. We are called to endure, to stand up, to live godly lives, to be a counterculture influence. And here in this, the very first one he says is, let brotherly love continue. And we looked at that last week. The importance of family love within the congregation. Because when a congregation begins to lose sight of who Jesus is and stops being a worshipful congregation, the very first thing that happens is they lose the community spirit. They lose that brotherly connection. The distance happens. Apathy happens. A hardness of heart to the, to the need of your brother or sister. And you begin to step away. And here the command is that we are to watch over, to maintain it, to keep it going. And then, of course, he went into the hospitality. And that's to both Christians and non-Christians. The first one, of course, brotherly love is to the congregation. Hospitality to those of the congregation that we don't know. And then it goes to the unbelievers, to the community we're in, that we are open and they see it. There's a difference about us. We talked about how that showed itself in the ancient world with the Christians, how they went and looked after street children in a time when people just threw their kids out in the trash and Christians would adopt children. And they had the difficulty of then the the parents who had abandoned the kids wanted them back because they saw that they, how good they were, how well nourished, how well looked after. But they didn't want them back to, to care for them. They wanted them back to sell them into slavery. And the Christians refused to do that in the first century. And they got imprisoned for child theft or for all these other kind of things. Even though they had rescued those children. And then of course it was the remember those in prison. Remember those who are, being, who are enduring suffering. And the idea again is that we don't draw back. We're not ashamed or embarrassed and we're not afraid of suffering ourselves. But there is a solidarity among us. That we care for one another even in the hard times. Even in the times when it endangers us ourselves. That we go above and beyond. We walk that extra mile as Jesus said. We are to do it. Look after our brother and sister because these things are an acceptable offering of worship. By doing so, you are worshiping Christ. This is your act of worship, your day and daily, how you live your life. We talked about it, it's one of my little catchphrases developing a lifestyle for a lifetime. Christianity isn't just simply putting up your hand and I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus and I obey his commandments. Remember he told his disciples when he was taken up. He commanded them to go into the world and preach the gospel. And people just kind of leave it there, don't they? Preach the gospel. Baptize them in my name. But Jesus actually said, and teach them to obey all the things that I commanded you. Christianity looks a certain way. 
It acts a certain way. It thinks a certain way. It is Christ-like. So we as Christians are to guard that. And the danger is that if we get sidetracked and distracted, we can lose sight of who Jesus is, and then that begins to demonstrate itself in how we behave towards one another. These people were suffering these things. The brotherly, brotherly love had stopped. The hospitality had stopped. The remembering those who were in prison and being maltreated had stopped. And he's encouraging them, commanding them, exhorting them. Come on, keep going, don't give up. Because as it wasn't then, it is today, we as Christians, as the followers of Jesus Christ, can be affected by our culture, affected by our nature. I'm an Irishman. I'm loud. I do this with my hands a lot. And people say, well, it's easy for you, Kyle, because you're loud and bold and brash. But we as Finns, we as Nordics, we as Scandinavians, well, we have so much... Jesus is superior to your culture. Jesus is superior to your culture. His teachings demand of you. And if this is your sacrifice, that you have to be loving and kind and show forethought, you have to do it. You have no choice. This is the nature of the Holy Spirit within you. And to resist it is to resist Christ himself. And then today we're in verse 4 and verse 5. Marriage is to be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept undefiled. Because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Again, once a church loses sight of Jesus, one of the very first things to go is the sacred view of marriage. As Christians, we hold marriage to be a sacred and holy institution. God created marriage. He created it in the beginning, in, in the garden, with Adam and Eve. It's a God-ordained institution. And as Christians, we hold that sacred Our God does not accept that we, that we would live together being unmarried. Sure, what is marriage? It's just a piece of paper. It's to take those voices to join. It's to enter into a covenant, an arrangement that lasts a lifetime with a person. You are giving yourself away to another person. That person is giving themselves to you for a lifetime. It's a sacred bond. It's a privilege not something that we take half-heartedly it's not something that we treat casually see the people in this world put no real emphasis on marriage indeed what is marriage is oh, men can get married women can marry people can marry horses or inanimate objects today there are all kinds of stuff I saw a person who married a robot one of those Japanese sex bots absolute Depravity. But in the Christian church, amongst the Christian people, God demands that we have a sacred view of that partnership between a man and a woman. 
We, in our era, just like in the first century, in the first century, marriage was not treated with any kind of great respect or sacredness. It was a very kind of casual. I read this week that the Jews under Chimele, is that his name? I can't remember how he pronounced his name. One of the, the, the main Jewish teachers at that time, uh, they had a very casual and very secular view of what marriage was. And a man could divorce his wife as easy as he could change his jacket, just put her out. Women were seen as nothing more than, than uh, property. And that view basically came from the, the second century all the way up into the Middle Ages, until the, the Reformation and then the, the Puritans, who really gave us our modern view of marriage today comes as in the Christian church comes from the Puritans and how they greatly valued marriage. They didn't just see it as a, a business interaction or, a, or something that, that was only there for procreation, but it was the joining together of individuals for the glory of God. And a man was to love his wife, not just to provide for her, not just to, to care for her, not just to, as in to care financially. She lives in the house and never saw her. Like a housekeeper. This world in which we live, and indeed the generation that we are a part of, has the same pagan values that the first century people did, where they don't really value marriage. They don't have the same sense of the sacred. And again, as Christians, certainly as Baptists, we make no separation between the sacred and the secular. We don't believe that there is a special place. There are some things that are Christian, and then there are some things that are not Christian. Our faith covers every aspect of our life. God's commands and calling to us touches upon everything that we do, everything we're a part of. Christ has an expectation for me in how I treat my wife, how I think about my wife how I feel about my wife, how I feel about my kids. Christ has expectations of how we are to behave. And here, the writer, whether it's Paul or Luke or Barnabas, whoever, I don't know, but the writer, the pastor writing this, is exhorting the church to take care of their view of marriage. Beloved, how you view marriage is and how you treat marriage is an aspect of your worship to God. Not, not putting up your hand in a Sunday service. Not singing nice songs. Not witnessing the people out on the street. Giving tracts out. Not debating with people on the internet, Facebook or whatever else. Heretical thing that you're a part of. But how you treat that person. And you say, well, I'm not married, so I'm okay. Well, I am married. But you understand, hypothetically, if you say, well, I'm not married. I don't have a... I, do you still treat marriage? It's not just the case of we treat our own marriages, but we treat the institution of marriage. I have sadly been a part of churches in the past where divorce has been rampant within churches and people have kind of partner swapped. This person divorces and then they marry a person in the congregation who is divorced from somebody else. And the, the attitude towards marriage was very casual. 
And it was, uh, you had uh, church groups for divorcees, you had church groups for singles, you had church groups. And it was basically like a hookup center where people could go and date. But the Bible says that we are to, to guard our hearts when it comes to marriage. That we're not to just simply treat it casually. You're not to treat my marriage casually. I am not to treat your marriage casually. I remember that when my eyes were opened, I used to think Finland was a righteous country full of really nice, good, well-meaning people. And then I went on a Christmas dinner with the factory that I worked with. And we went down to the south. And, uh, and it was going really well. You know, that we were having a nice dinner. And it was in the center. And a bus, several buses pulled up, coaches pulled up outside the... The, the place where we were at and all these young ladies got off the bus and I said and all the men were like oh, I couldn't understand it I was like is this like another Christmas dinner from other people and one of the men leaned over and explained to me no this is the people who were putting on a Christmas dinner had bought the services of several busloads of Russian prostitutes who had come across the border and they were tonight's entertainment. And I was like, what? Because these were all good Christian men that I was working with, several of them were at least, who were involved in the Lutheran church and, and they were thoroughly excited. I, I, I was like, can't believe this. Hi, my goodness. My goodness, no. I know these men. We live in the same village. I know their wives. Oh my goodness, no. And uh, then I continued and I was sitting there with some real Finns who just all they wanted to do was drink. <laughs> it was very funny. But the majority of men got up and danced and then they would go off and do whatever they did. And uh, the boss of the factory came to me and said, Kyle, do you not, do, do not want to go and have a, a dance? It's all been paid for. Do go and ask one of these ladies to dance. And I was like, no, I... I I, I've never betrayed my wife. I would never betray my wife. And the man got thoroughly insulted. I've never committed. But I had seen him two or three times going off with a woman. I've never. It is, and then we talked about it later on. And he said, in his mind, adultery is when you love a person who's not your wife. Or not, not just what happens at the Christmas dinner stays at the Christmas dinner. And we don't talk about it later on. Wickedness. I could tell you about the jiu-jitsu camps that I've been on that are just exactly the same. Ridiculous. And there we need to guard our hearts. Christian, are you protecting your friend's marriage by protecting your heart? By not looking upon a person, a husband or wife with lust? Not giving opportunity for the enemy? To tempt? To distract? To sow seeds of destruction within the marriage of someone else. Again, I, I have a, a friend in Ireland who a, was a pastor. Pastor Richie. And uh, his wife was the worship leader. and Or no, she sang in the worship group. And uh, sadly, she ended up having an affair with the worship leader from the church. And uh, destroyed their lives. There was a lack of 
guarding, caring for one another. They had stopped. They'd taken their eyes off Christ. Perhaps they weren't even Christian in a real true sense. Beloved, we who are Christians, we worship God not just by our words, but by our deeds. We demonstrate our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by living according to His Word. We care for one another. And the first, one of the first ways we do that is in how we approach marriage. Our marriage and the marriage of others around us. And the institution of marriage. We put great emphasis on it. It is important to us. It is not just something that we can roll up and throw away and go get another one. It is indeed our chief expression. Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read it to you. It parallels this. Therefore be imitators of God. Begin in verse 1. As dearly beloved children, walk in love as Christ has also walked in us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual morality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you. As if is proper of saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For you know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So beloved, we guard, we guard our marriages, our own marriages, our own relationships and the relationships of others around us. We don't flirt with one another. Again, I, I sadly have been participants in churches. I've been a member in churches where flirting is treated as, as okay. Where married men flirt with unma unmarried women. Where married women will be provocative towards married men. I was once at a, a dinner at an elder's house. And there was a young lady and a young man and myself and the elder and his wife... And the elder was joking with the young lady and he, and he bent over and he nudged her breast with his elbow. And the young man who was the young lady's husband was totally shocked and couldn't say anything, wouldn't say anything. And, I, and again, disability of a big mouth. That is not okay. This man was like 65 or something. Way too casual. It's a sign an indication that there's something wrong on a heart level. That their eyes have been taken from Christ and now they are either backslidden or demonstrating again their lack of reality in their faith. Beloved, let me challenge you, each and every one of you, whether you're married or you're not married, do you regard... The institution of marriage, your view of marriage, how you hold marriage, whether how you're married or the marriages of people around you, as an act of worship. A simple act of worship. How we speak to one another in our relationship. How we think. Because remember, what comes out of your mouth is just an indication of what's in your heart. 
And oftentimes, especially here in Finland, I imagine people don't speak as much as they do in Ireland, and we're just like this. Finnish people are very kind of still. And, but the internal voice is always moving. Jesus said that if you do these things in your heart, you're guilty. And that's where it really begins. It's attitudes of our heart. The voice of our mind, that little self inside, the thing that no one but God and the angels can see or hear. Beloved, guard your marriage. It is be honored by all, and I love that, honored by all. The idea is the word honored means highly valued. Much significance. We are to hold it sacred. A holy thing. Your marriage to me is a holy thing. My marriage is to be a holy thing. Oh, I'm in trouble. My, my wife, I'm going to go home and my wife's going to be sent. Did you hear your sermon this morning? I'm going to, oh, I'll have to eat crow for weeks now. Beloved, as we seek to worship Christ, as we seek to demonstrate Him in this world, as we seek to preach the gospel and to make it known that it is real and right, and that Christ does transform and change a person within. Not just an outward, not just a, a, a form of righteousness, a facade where we're all smiley and nice, but when we get the chance, we dive right into sin. When we think there's nobody watching, We're on our phones or our devices or whatever we can get into. Guard your heart. And beloved, if you have been guilty of a low view of marriage, if you've treated marriage, your marriage or the marriage of others with contempt, repent of it. Ask God for a change of heart and of mind. When I was a young man, in my early teens, I was a great flirt, my wife might say. I was still a great flirt when she met me. But yeah. And I would flirt with men, women, and you know, trees. I don't care. It was enjoyable. I enjoyed it. Just a whole. And the Lord convicted me in my heart. Challenged me. Do you really love that person while well, you're causing them to have confusion? You're not honoring me. You're not saving yourself for that one. And so, beloved, again, let me challenge you. As the Lord changed my heart and transformed me and changed me and allowed me control over my mind, my mouth, my heart, He can do with you and will do. The Bible says here that the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. And that's the idea again of premarital sex. Of not falling into the mistake of being in casual relationships. Of treating it like a game. Doing what the world does and changing partners. Again, sadly, I've been a part of world churches where the youth group was more like a hookup center. There's more action in there than there was in the local nightclub. The Bible forbids such things. We are to be people of a higher standard, holy. And therefore we are to guard our minds. The word again here in the sexual morality is pornea. It doesn't just mean fornication. It means all aspects of 
sexual deviancy, all aspects of, of perversion, whether it's pornography to whatever aspect, whether it's stuff that's on soft media, what do you call those, like um, Facebook or Instagram or things like this, or Twitter, I guess, I don't know. Or it goes into hardcore. These things, God forbids them not because he's a, a killjoy, but because they're damaging to the human mind, to the human soul, to your relationships. It will kill your future relationships, men and women. Uh, I, I remember some, an interesting conversation I had once with an older lady um, who had divorced her husband. And she, she, I say older lady, she's probably my age now, as in I, I'm her age, was when I had the conversation with her. You know, but she was an older lady then. And she had divorced her husband. And we were talking, she's, I just want a man, and she'd read those romance novels. Do you know those romance novels? Yeah, I don't know, in tant porn, I think, whatever they're called, where they have this bare-chested man on the cover of this uh, Reader Digest. So, and she used to read those. In her fantasy, she wanted a man just like one of these super over-romantic characters from her books. And her heart would flutter. She said, heart, that's exactly what she did. My heart flutters when I read them. But my husband, he's just, or her husband who she divorced, he's just ordinary. He's just ordinary. And she was Christian, supposedly. But her heart and her mind had been perverted by this fantasy. These, this wickedness that she had put in her heart and her head. And it had led her astray and she'd end up divorcing her husband. And she died alone, basically. She died in her apartment. Her life ruined and wrecked. Because she'd given in and she didn't, had never been taught the, the high standard that God expects of us, demands of us, as an act of our worship to Him, as an act of sacrifice, of praise. We are to watch and to care for one another. And then He tells us why. It's not just because it's the right thing to do, it's because God will deal with those who are not. And if we continue in a lifestyle of unrepented of sin, it can demonstrate that we don't really know Christ, that we're a false convert, that we're a nominally religious person. I, I, I know great many people like that within the Lestadian movement who, who claim to be Christian but you know, have girlfriends outside their marriage, hook up with people casually, or live together and not be married. Beloved, God will not let this slide. He deals with these things. He takes them seriously. And then the second one, which I'm running out of time. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. You know, in Timothy, 1 Timothy, it says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And here it's not saying that we should be paupers or socialists where we just share everything around, where we should be giving everything away like Franciscan monks, one of my favorites. But it's that we are to keep our lives free from the love or the pursuit, the obsession with money. And again, one of the 
great indications that a church has lost its focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ is that it becomes materialistic. Becomes a church where the, the collection is more important than the, the scripture reading. More time is given. More emphasis is made for the collection than it is for the preaching of the word. Beloved, our lives are to be kept free from this lust, this poison and passion that would pervert us, it would pull us away from Christ. Jesus himself said, you cannot serve both mammon, money, and God. You'll either love one and hit, you'll love one and hit the other. So, in our generation, in our time, we need to guard ourselves and as an acceptable part of your worship, your heart has to be firmly focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Not upon what you can get from church. Not what you, what you can do amongst each other. Uh, I have a pyramid scheme. Would you like to buy some property from me, Don? Or I have these uh, orange juice or something, something, pills, Tupperware. So many people use the community of church as a, an institution of profit. They make merchandise of God's people. I have a scheme. Would you like to be involved in it? We can make lots of cash. Sadly, it is so. We are to keep our lives and the congregation free from such things. Where When we become so focused on what we have, what car do I drive? What brand of clothes do I wear? Where do I go on holidays? Where do I shop to do my groceries? When those kind of things, what position do I have in the factory or the, or the company in which I, I work? Beloved, we need to keep those things from our faith. Our act of worship is to keep Christ firmly fixed upon the throne of our hearts and not other things, not the baubles and shiny things of this world, not stuff. A gadget man needs to keep his gadgets out of his heart. You can be a gadget man. You can have your boat or whatever you need to have. But it can't be the first thing in your life. God has not called us to be paupers or, again, stoics. People who give up everything just for the faith. But we are not allowed to be those who are just obsessed, possessed by the Spirit, the desire of these things. Indeed, it says here that we are to be satisfied with what we have. Again, not saying that we can't have ambition to do well in business, but rather that we cannot be so obsessed by it that it is just one endless chasing after. Like in Ireland, we have fox and, and hares. Anybody know what that is? Where they release a hare and then they send the foxes to try and, and catch the hare. And oftentimes, most often not, the hare gets away. Well, for many Christians, sadly, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of material things, the pursuit to do well so that everyone can see how good and blessed I am becomes that continual chasing of the hair. They're always going for it. They're always looking for it. They can't be at peace. They can't be at rest. All they want is the very, very best. 
beloved, we are to be satisfied with what we have. Not always looking over the fence at the neighbors and saying the grass is always greener. I desire what he has. Oh, did you see my... I remember one of my neighbors, I was cutting the grass. I used to have the old um, blue one from... What do you call it? Biltima? You know, the grass cutter? It's like a cheap place. I'm really poor. And I said this really, really terrible grass cutter from Biltima. And then we got the other one. And my neighbor came over and said, oh, I see you got that. And I said, yes, I did. And he says, yeah. And he opened his phone and he had it already on the place where I'd bought it. He knew the price. He knew everything about it, the specs. He's like, yeah, it was great. He's, have you seen my grass cutter? And I was like, oh, oh, dear. Beware of the boasting of what a man has and does, you know. And it's like, have you seen my grass cutter? Grass is always greener on the other side. We need to be careful and guard our hearts from this desiring what other people have, thinking that other people always have it better than we do. And if we, if we could get what they have, well then our life will have meaning and we'll be happy. It's not that way, beloved. Happiness comes through knowing Christ. Satisfaction in life comes from knowing Christ. True and real contentment comes from knowing Christ. You'll not find it in a relationship. You'll not find it in having material things or status or the latest bling or whatever. It is in and through and by the grace of God found in Christ and in Christ alone that you will find your sense of purpose and being. So, beloved, we are told here to keep our life free from the love of money, to be satisfied with what we have. And then we're given a promise. He quotes the Old Testament. I will never leave you or abandon you. That, for me, is a life verse. I have carried that verse around since I was a wee boy. I'm just a wee man now. I will never leave you or forsake you, it says in my other Bible. I learned When I learned it, it was from the, the AIV. God will never leave you. Isn't that a great promise to have? God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Now, as a man who, when I was 17, my mom put me out of the house and I lived. I was by myself. I had no family to look after me. And as a young man, I had to care for myself. I had to learn all do all these things. And this promise was vital for me. For the, you know, even though the people of my, the, who my nearest and dearest may have given me up, God will never give me up. So, beloved, we can be assured and protected in our statement of faith, in our, as we declare and, and demonstrate who we are in Christ by living this way, knowing that He is with us. He is closer to us than a heartbeat. We, we live in an ocean of His presence. We can never be separated by Him. And indeed, He has made the statement, I will never leave you. You can't get rid of me with a big stick. I think it's wonderful. No matter what you do, no matter how you mess up, if you believe in Christ, He stands with you. He is over, being overly protective. You know, we have little kids in our, in our congregation. Ruby and uh, Lily. Ruby is my favorite at the moment. Lots of noise, you know. And you see the way Andy hovers over them for the most part. And even when Ruby does something, you know, like goes over and, and bang, she looks at Annie and then takes the, the slowly takes the, the cupboard door and then goes, doo, 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 
And I was like, oh, and takes her away. And he doesn't kind of go, oh, you're such a bad child, and then leave and never comes back for her. You know, you couldn't imagine. Doesn't, he, he doesn't You just take her outside and throw her in the street. No. And if that's an earthly father, our heavenly father is so much more than that. So much more than that. So beloved, we can be confident that as we take the stand, as we, we endure marriage, celebrate it, as we demonstrate to the world around us our faith and our love and our, our, our adoration for our God through the standard of our marriages and how we view marriage, how we talk about it. We need to stop saying, husbands need to stop saying negative things about their wives. Wives, you need to say positive things about your husbands. (laughs) Even if there's not, make them up. Encourage them. Not with lies, but with, you know, hopeful, wishful thinking. Um, All things are possible, the Bible says. Let us continue in the way. Let us be practical in our worship. Let's not be half-hearted. Let's not be people who worship outwardly but lack the inward reality. Let, let us get away. Let us do away with the whole idea of sacred and secular. Well, that's what we do in church. Christianity is for when, you, when you're in church, when you're together on a Sunday. No, it's every day, all day, every day. A lifetime. A lifestyle for a lifetime. You will walk in his ways. You will keep his requirements. Amen. Let's just leave it there. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We pray, O God, that you would help us. Lord, we recognize that our culture influences us. Lord, we are continually bombarded through the newspapers, through the internet, through TV programs, through the people around us, Lord, the culture in which we live that encourages us to devalue marriage, to, Lord, to, to, to change even the definition of it. Lord, we pray that you would guard our hearts, that you would grant us the grace to stay strong and to be strong. Lord, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We would walk in your ways, keep your requirements, that, Lord, we would obey all the things, things that you have required of us, that you have taught us, that we might bring happiness to your heart. Glad you, glad you, Lord, we pray, help us. We want to be pleasing children. Indeed, Lord, again, we ask for forgiveness for those times when we have not walked in your ways. When, Lord, when our faith has been deficient. Lord, when we have reduced it simply down to being what I desire or that I believe in Jesus but there's no been no context no how does that work itself out in real life Lord if we as a congregation have begun not to have you at the forefront of our worship Lord if we have become distracted or infiltrated or or affected or infected by the world and the flesh and the devil we ask for forgiveness Lord we ask open up our eyes and help us to realize Lord help us to turn away from those things and to repent that we might bring glory to your name, that, Lord, you might be well pleased, that Jesus, Lord, would be lifted up from this earth, and that your kingdom might come. Oh, Lord, we pray these things for your glory and your glory alone, in Jesus' precious name. Amen.